Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, what Luke just read. You know, I don't know about you, but when I watched that video and that camp, first thought that goes through my mind was, man, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> As adults, don't you? And uh, here's the thing, though. I want to say this to you. Many of you were there as adults. And we don't just want to say thank you. I want to personally say I am so grateful for many of you who walk with our kids. I've got, you know, two in college now, Lisa and I, and then we've got one still in student ministry at the Brentwood congregation. And, of course, we do them together on these retreats. And, y'all, can I say to you who volunteer um, as a parent, uh, it is priceless to us that there would be other adults in our children's lives who are saying the same thing we're saying. Because sometimes it's hard for them to hear it from us. And it's okay. It was hard for you when you were 16 to hear it from mom and dad. And it is priceless what you do. Uh, Bobby could use your help. If, you know, any, uh, he would never turn you down if you wanted to step into that. Those who are serving there and walking with our students, I just want to say a, a, an extra thank you. Um, thank you to you. Yeah, I mean that. It makes a difference. Um, something else I want to remind us of, we are, in, we are in the midst of 40 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, and if you have not opted in to receive these prayer guides each morning, I want to encourage you to do so. We're going to remind you next week, and it'll be the last week. We've got two weeks to go. If you only do it for one week, fantastic. If you haven't done it yet, would you step in and do this? There is nothing more important that we are doing as a community of faith right now than praying through praying through, these, through this prayer guide together. We are in a season of renewal, transition, coming up on 20 years as a community of faith, looking back, looking forward. I'm going to tell you, we don't want to look forward apart from praying and seeking the mind and heart of God for us. And the text we're covering today is going to bear this out. It's going to affirm why we're doing what we're doing with this. So again, I'm just going to exhort you, if you haven't, I want to encourage you to step in and sign up. And secondly, we will end these 40 days on Friday, November 17th, and we will end it with an all-night prayer. We'll start at 8. We will go till 7 in the morning. And if you're worried about staying awake all night, no worries. Because what you're going to see in the coming weeks is a line on our prayer guide where you're going to be able to opt in to a time slot that you will pray, okay? So you'll pray during a time slot. We'll have a, a set way that we're going to pray in each of those time slots that'll take us all the way to 715. And I want to say to those, you know, this is a family time. Come as a family. And so kids, I want to encourage you to ask your mom and dad to take you to like the three in the morning to the four in the morning or the two in the morning to three in the morning because that's when I want to see you there, Okay. Oswald Chambers wrote, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all, end quote. I don't think there's many of us in the room that would disagree with that. In fact, I think we would all go, yeah, it needs to be the first thing. It needs to be before we do everything. And while we say that, I don't think there's many of us in the room that don't come up against that and go, well, now, if that's true... Oh, oh, the way I live my life, uh, it doesn't quite match up to that, that it's, it's the first thing I do, it's what I do, it's what I do all the time, pray. 
Paul Miller writes in the beginning of his book, A Praying Life, he says, quote, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy that we slow down to pray, that we, so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments, production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless as if we are wasting time. Every bone in our body screams, get to work, end quote. Again, I don't think there's any, if any, many in the room that would say prayer is useless. It's just, no, we wouldn't say that. But if you looked at our prayer life, I'm, if looked at, I'm talking about my own. How many times do I have that sensation? I got to get, I got to start doing this, not praying. And I'm not saying these things, you all, to shame us by no means. I am saying these things because they're true. And we will not change until we face reality and we own it. And I think it's true of my own life. And I'll say this, and there's a number of ways I believe I've failed you as a leader if you've been around here long in in, in the last 20 years. But one, I'm not throwing myself on the bus on this, but I I really believe that I have failed as one of your leaders, you know, I'm I'm, I'm one of the teaching pastors, um, to lead us to be a church of prayer. I I think when you look at our Bibles, you can't argue the the way they pray. Now, I'm not saying we don't pray. I know we do pray, y'all. And but I but I'm just going. If 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 you were to say, um, you know, is is prayer one of the significant marks of Fellowship Bible Church? I wouldn't raise my hand. And again, not not out of not to shame us, but to go, I wouldn't raise my hand because I think. I don't think that's true of us. Can it be true? Absolutely. Must it be true? I, I think it's got to be truer than, than where we are today. And this prayer is going to affirm and remind us of that very thing. So how do we become a more praying people? Well, at least two things I would say. Number one, if Acts is telling us anything, y'all, we don't become a praying people apart from the Holy Spirit. Because you... We don't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said these words in the Gospels, you can do nothing apart from me. Let me translate that into vernacular today that we can use. You can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. Same thing. You can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's think about prayer in terms of our dependence, our reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I'll say this, and this is not going to come as a surprise to you. How do we become a more praying people? We pray. <laughs> Independence upon the Spirit, we, we, we begin to pray. We, 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 we do what God invites us to do, and, and we, we, we pray more and more. And it's wonderful because he's not left us without any instructions. We have the Lord's Prayer. We have many prayers in the Bible. And we have in our text today what I'm going to consider a model prayer. Now, why would I consider this a model prayer? Uh, uh, first of all, we know the church gathered to pray. But we don't know yet, what did they pray? How did they pray? We have a little hint of that, but I'm gonna tell you something. We come here and we're gonna find out the who, what, when, where, and why of prayer. We're gonna see exactly why they prayed and what they prayed. I think it's a model prayer also because I don't think it's an exaggeration to say if you're in the room today and you know Jesus, you've placed your faith in Christ, that he lived the life you couldn't live, a perfect life, that he died the death we deserved, he was buried and rose again, and you trust that what he did, he did for you. If you're a Christian born again, and in this church, I'm going to tell you something. 
the reason you are is in part because they prayed back then this prayer. It's going to make sense when we see it. They were praying this prayer back then, and that's why you and I are here today. Which would then tell me, if you and I want the church to be here for a generation yet to be born, for our children, our grandchildren, whom I I may not see, we may not see, then we must be praying this prayer today. Again, it will make sense as we go through it. By way of context, because we're, we're we're in this series called Plan A, because the church is plan A, and in a season of renewal, we're going, boy, what, is plan, what does Acts tell us about plan A in the church? Well, it tells us that prayer is a part of plan A is one of the things we see today. But as we move through this, we've got to stay in our context. So let me go back and grab what Bobby covered last week. Last week, Bobby Brown, student ministry pastor, he taught from chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And I have said this to a number of people. I want to say it again to you. I've had a number of you all tell me, Bobby did an amazing job. And I, I love that because he's, he's the future. Guys like Bobby Brown are the future of the church. That They grow and they learn to teach and they'll be teaching us and they'll be teaching our kids even as he is now. But Bobby reminded us that we need not fear boldly proclaiming the gospel. This prayer is going to actually build on that and show us why we need not fear. Now, in terms of context, Peter and John boldly proclaimed the gospel. They were incarcerated for it. They were threatened. And they were told by the religious leaders, literally, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then this amazing response, look at verses 19 and 20 of chapter 4. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. That's pretty amazing. Then their response, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, when you're filled with the Spirit, okay, and that's dependent, dependent upon the Spirit, you cannot. It's like you, you can't close your mouth. You can't not say what you know about Jesus, any more than a helium-filled balloon, cannot rise, you see. Now, our story picks up right as they are released. I want to cover it in two categories, if I can. We're going to talk about the content of this prayer and the outcome. So if you've got to, you know, in your mind, we're going to go, it's going to be most of our times on the content of the prayer. But this is amazing because we actually get to see the prayer answered. We don't always see that. People pray things, you never know what happens. Oh, we get to see them pray, and boom, we get to see the outcome of this prayer. Now, in terms of the content, there are three things I'm going to invite us to consider from this prayer, okay? So I'll keep repeating these things for you. Three things from the content of the prayer that we need to note for ourselves. The first is this, it was a corporate prayer. It was a corporate prayer. Prayer. Look at verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and the elders, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they, the, their friends, lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, stop right there, it was a corporate prayer. First thing they did when they got out was they went to their church. They went to their people. They went to their comp- 
companions. Let's not take that for granted. They had a people group they were with. They had a church, quite frankly, that they were a part of. So they went and, and they began to speak with one accord. It's not that they all repeated it at the same time. It's, it's probably how we're going to end our service today. I am going to pray for us and invite you to be in one accord with me as I pray this prayer. That's how we'll end in a moment. Some might say, well, prayer's, prayer's private to me. I think prayer's, prayer's not, you know, it's a very private, personal thing between me and God. And I'd say, absolutely, it is private and it's public. You cannot study our Bibles. We can't look at those who walk the Christian life and go, it's always private. Well, it, it, it should be private in, in one regard, but it's also public. Think about this. The Christian life itself begins, it can't start apart from your personal decision for God. You personally have to come to the place where you personally believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, and he did it for you, and you personally embrace that. You can do that privately, personally, yes. But in the moment you believe that, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you are placed in the body of Christ, and you immediately are no longer your own. You belong to the body of Christ, the universal body, certainly, but a local community of faith. That's where we're to belong in that local context. And that's why baptism is one of the first things you do. Baptism, you all, is never private. Only private baptism I've ever seen was Robert Duvall when he baptized himself in the apostle. Remember, he dunked himself and said, I'm the apostle. Nobody watched that movie but me. It's, a lot, it's an old movie. Um, but it's not private. Oh, I got a hand. I got a hand. Um, it's, uh, it's not private. It's public. It's to say to the world, God save me and I want everyone around me to know. That's what baptism is. See, it goes public immediately. It's why we see in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, where you stimulate one another to love and good deeds, as some people do. Some people were ignoring gathering as the local community of faith. Don't do that. You got to remind each other to gather. I might step on some toes here, but I'll step gently and say this, because I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, 20 years of watching our community and our church, etc. I know people uh, Christians, well-meaning, well it's great, but who will say, you know, um, man, I, the, the church has hurt me or the church has burned me. Can I say this? There's no one in the room that hasn't been hurt by the church, including me, <laughs> and I help lead one. And, and, and we hurt, we, 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 the church will hurt you. It harms people. I mean, I hate that, but it's true. We all get upset. But some people take that and then go, you know, I'm not, I don't, you know we, we're just not going to church right now. You know, we have a small group that we meet with. It's our church. No, it's not. That's not your church. Well, you know, I have friends that are good Christian people, and we just are more connected with them. So, no, we're not in the church. No, you're not in the church. And I would say to you, and I say to anyone who is, is there, I'd say that's, that's not the church according to the Bible. That the church invites all of us to be a part of a local context, the local community of believers under the authority of an eldership by which the, sac the sacraments, the ordinances are, are practiced, church discipline is practiced. It, that's the local church. It's not a, just a Bible study. It's not that kind of thing. It's, it really matters, okay? And even in this corporate prayer, it matters. This is, a this is a local church, and they're praying together, and it's why we're doing this. You know, we haven't done it in 20 years. I'm, you know, but we're doing it now and we're praying corporately. And you know, every morning at six o'clock when my phone buzzes and I go through these prayers, I know there's over 2,000 people praying these specific things. Is that a magic pill or potion? No, but it's a biblical precedent that we see that the church at 
it needs to pray with one accord. And I believe this because I'll speak personally. God's doing, God's been convicting me. I mean, I've had, I've been going through the prayer, you know, I'm writing the prayer thing. So I, so I better do what it tells me to do because I said it. I told everybody else to do it. And so I, I do. And I, and I have, I have gone, I have made some faith steps through this, y'all. I'm, I can't be the only one who hasn't gone through the prayer and not felt, you know, there may be someone I need to go talk to. Boy, if this is repentance, then I need to, I hope that's true in your life. I believe it is. And God's doing something in our body in this corporate time of prayer, you all. I may never see the fruit of it, the results of it, but we, we cannot be praying like we're praying and God not be changing us in some ways for his glory and for our good, whatever that may mean. Well, so... This prayer, this model prayer, it was a corporate prayer. Secondly, it begins and rests in God's sovereignty. It begins and it rests in God's sovereignty. I'm going to give you four statements about God under this second point. The first is that he is the God of creation. He is the God of creation. Look at verse 24. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. That word Lord is the word despotas. It's not kyrios. Kyrios is Lord and it's how you always see, not always, but mostly see Lord in the Bible. Ruler, reign. But despotas, what word do we get from that? English. Is that a good word or a bad word? It's kind of a bad word to us, not to them, not in this context. It's not bad at all. It's just fine-tuning that he is the benevolent despot. What does that mean? He is in control. Five other times that word's used in the New Testament. It's always master-slave. Again, not in the negative sense of slave. It's, it's, there's a master, and everyone else is under the master and does what the master says. That's what he's saying right here. How many of us would come out of, you know, being falsely incarcerated and, and some people are telling us, if you do this again, we're going to incarcerate you again. Uh, we're going to give you trouble. How many of us would go, okay, everybody, let's pray, would drop to your knees and the first thing out of your mouth would be, oh, benevolent despot, you created the heavens and the earth. And I'm, I'd be going, let's, get, let's start praying about this problem. But they don't start there, do they? First, where'd that come from to pray like that? See, it's the Holy Spirit in them that says that their prayers are gonna begin and rest in God's sovereignty. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, God, you, you are the God of creation, i.e., if God created everything, he is therefore over everything. The heavens and the earth and all that is in them. What's all in them? The rulers and the, the, the people who put us in jail. Everything in the world is under God. He's the God of creation. Secondly, he is the God of revelation. God of revelation. Let's look at verses 25 to 27. Verse 25, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, and then they are gonna quote Psalm 2. This is Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. I want you to stop right there. Sometimes we read our Bibles and we go, gosh, what did that mean? What does that verse mean? I love it when you read our, when we read our Bible and it's like the Bible says something and then the Bible says, let me tell you what that means. 
This is one of those times. You don't have to go, what did that mean? He's going to tell us exactly what it meant in the next verse. Now, here's how they interpret Psalm 2. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Psalm 2 says that there are kings and rulers against his anointed. Herod, king, Pontius Pilate, ruler along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Why did the Gentiles rage? The Gentiles, the Romans. And the peoples devised futile things. Who are the peoples? The Jews. So he tells us exactly this is what this psalm is describing. A thousand years before it happened, the Passion Week, King David wrote a song inspired by the Spirit, and it described real-life events in his world at that time. So, it's, you know, David actually had kings and rulers against him, Gentiles, it, it happened to him. But it was also foreshadowing and prophesying that the great King David was pointing to the true king of Israel, Jesus, who a thousand years later would go through a week in which those very things happened to him. And God has revealed in his word that what David said was going to happen is exactly what happened, which takes me to the third point, God of creation, God of revelation, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. He's the God of history. He's, he's the God of history in the past, and he's going to make history in the, you know, the future that becomes history. Is, it's God doing what he does. Y'all, you can take that word predestined and look it up in every language in the world, including Greek, the original language, and you know what it's going to mean? It's going to mean predetermined. That's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean that God, yes, knew beforehand and predetermined that it would happen exactly as it happened. He's the God of history. The, the, the story of the world, the history of the world is not unfolding like, like improv theater. You know how improv theater works? Someone says something and the next person has to take what that person says and kind of go along and agree. And then it, someone else says something and that person takes something. And it could go anywhere. Like where it starts, no one knows where it's going to end. That's not how the world's unfolding. The world is unfolding. You can't open your newspaper today. You can't read about something. Hear the news. It is unfolding according to God's design and predetermined plan. I'll say it like this. You know, God is faithful to his covenant and his covenant promises and the world from the moment time as we know it began till the moment time as we know it is no more and, and eternity and it, it, it you know becomes eternity is all, all, all there is everything is unfolding according to God's covenant faithfulness to his name okay and he's, he's, he's to his very character he's, he's he's covenant his covenant faithfulness to his name to his promises god has made some promises and those promises include people and those and everything that's going to happen because of his promises to those people is going to involve purposes and plans so according to promises purposes promises people purposes and plans everything's folding out just as god predetermined it's not accidental there's no mistakes now, let me, let, me, let me say this about what I'm saying here and what the Bible teaches. There are terrible, unspeakable, evil things that happen in the world. 
there's pain and loss and injustice and cruelty and gross immorality. There are things happening in the world right now that I won't even say here because it would be inappropriate to say it publicly. It's terrible. It's evil. Bad things happen. How, this is where we always struggle, how, how can God be sovereign in control overall and then these things happen, okay? I, I know that's our struggle. It's my struggle. How can that be? Can I tell you the answer? At least I'm gonna tell you the answer we have from the Bible. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't, tell, it doesn't tell us. And I'm gonna tell you, I don't know how God can be sovereign and and you can lose a child or cancer can strike or and total injustice comes against you. I don't, I don't know. What I, here's where I want to invite us to go. What I do know is that the Bible says God is in control. That's what it says. We dare not back away from it. Their prayer, it begins in this sovereignty and is rooted in this sovereignty. What's unmistakable you know, we can, I can stand here all day and try and explain it, and I won't because I can't, but I can read my Bible and go, this is clear, God's in control. Close your eyes for a moment. Some of you already have closed them. I'm not going to call your names out, but, but some of you, okay, hello. Um, but everyone close your eye right now. Close your eyes. Sometimes we close our eyes and, and you hear something, it can sink a little deeper, and I want these words to just wash over you and may they go within. Deuteronomy 32, see now that I, I am he and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. The one forming light, yeah, yeah, light, and creating darkness, hmm. causing well-being, yes. And creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Daniel 4. But God does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? In Ephesians 1, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. You can open your eyes. There's some things I don't know and I can't understand, but that, I think I can understand what those verses say. They say God is in control of all things. Now, I think it's instructional in the early church that when they, when they wanted to express God's control of all things, that they don't go to Christmas, the birth. They go to Easter. Think about it. 
They don't go, look at the baby born in a manger, born of a virgin. A star was over. No, no, no. They go to Easter, to the cruelty of the cross. Now, I want you to see this because one of the clearest verses in the whole Bible about what we're talking about is in Acts. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 24. 20, uh, 23. It says, this man, that's Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This is the crucifixion, the Passion Week. It's saying, wait a minute, God, you predetermined that? That was your what it says you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death wait a minute i thought god you said you did it yeah god god predetermined and planned that and then it says and you wait wait wait. now you're saying that the men did it well which one is it which one is it it's both you see when you speak about god's sovereignty you can't negate man's responsibility lloyd you're not making any sense well i'm i'm just telling you what the bible says and, and we've got to hold these two things in, in tension. I, I can't, I'm telling you, I can't get my head around it. I can only say, God's in control and my choices matter. Wow. If you could figure it out, you might be God. That'd be a real problem, right? See, I'm being serious. Of course, we can't understand it fully, but it's absolutely clear what he says. And then in verse 28 of the verse passage we're in, chapter 4, verse 28. Christ was treated this way. He was crucified. What in the world was going on? Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. That's exactly God. The crucifixion, the suffering of Jesus was all predetermined by God, God's hand. He doesn't go to the, doesn't go to Christmas, goes to Easter. And I've thought about this. This is Pure conjecture, but it's an offering I'll give to you to say, here's how I think about this. It could be. But, but, but you, know, you know, think about the birth of a baby. Have you ever been in the baby ward and someone was holding a baby and they held the baby and said, God, how can you be sovereign and allow this? <laughs> no. Now, if something's wrong with a child, which is real, we, could, we can have that, but you know what I'm saying. Generally, we go... I think generally we look at a child, a baby, and any reasonable adult would go, nine months ago, there was a sperm and an egg. And that one sperm pierced the wall of that egg. And cells began to multiply. And over nine months, there is a person. And and they have a brain and the cells of the brain are different from the cells of their kidney and, and it's different from their eye and oh God, how did this happen? You know, you just, you're undone by the sovereign rule of God who created all things in the heaven and the earth and all that is in them. And we don't question the sovereignty, honestly, when good things are going on or when miracles, it's amazing. We don't question God's sovereignty. When do we question, when does sovereignty become a problem? When life doesn't go the way we hoped. And in fact, when something terrible happens that shouldn't happen. When good people have terrible things happen to them. When the cancer's there, when the child dies, when you're accused of something you didn't do, when injustice and evil kind of win the day. You know, when I'm standing here, yes, we all go, God, how can you be sovereign? And, 
And yet the apostles, what do they do? They don't go to the birth. They go to the crucifixion and say, here is proof that God is sovereign. What? Yeah. This is the proof of God's sovereignty. That this total injustice was God's doing. And he uses it for our good and his glory. Two things we can say when we're faced with tragedy and loss. And and y'all, I'm speaking as someone who, I mean, we've had some hard things in our life, I'll say for Lisa and I. But, you know, I I know many of you have had things way beyond what I can comprehend and you walk in it even now. And this is is a part of life on a fallen planet. And so I offer these words with, with great gentleness, if I may say it that way. Number one, God's love for us is grounded in what happened on the cross, not by what happens in life. So God's love for us is grounded in what happened, historically happened on the cross, not anything that happens to us in life or is gonna happen. If you wanna say something terrible happens, you say, God, do you love me? You gotta stop and go, not based on this, you gotta go back to the cross and say, do you love me? And it's been settled forever. He can't love you more. He can't love you less than he demonstrated on the cross. You with me on that? So number one, the cross is the grounding of God's love for us. It's where we go for the proof of his love, so to speak. And secondly, can I say this about the crucifixion? There has never been, and I'm saying this, knowing that there's terrible things that have happened in your life. And for some of us will (laughs) before we leave this planet. Yet, there has never been nor will there ever be a greater tragedy, loss, injustice than what happened on the cross. The eternally innocent Son of God suffering and being slayed by men whom he made and then suffering separation from his Father that he had never been separated from from eternity past. There's, there's no, nothing in the cosmic universe that can come close, nothing in our lives that can come close to that injustice. And yet they go there and say, God's in control. I do not understand God's meticulous sovereignty. And I'm gonna say this in, in, in a little bit of jest, but also in a, in a bit of seriousness, if I may. I do not understand how planes fly. And I get on them. You tell me, you understand aerodynamics truly and you get on it? I don't understand it, but I get on it. I don't understand how my son can be in Spain and I can pull him up and, Darden, what's up? Where are you? Are you, how you get in there? You know, do you know how this works? I'm being silly, but serious. Do you know how this works? I don't either. But I use it and trust it. And my point is just this. A lack of understanding does not equal an inability to trust. Where would we be if you had to understand everything before you trusted it? All prayer finds its source and rest in the sovereignty of God because God's in control. Why have I spent so much time on sovereignty? In fact, I've spent all my time. uh, Because they spend five verses on God's sovereignty and then they just throw in these two verses on God, here's what we'd like you to do. Five verses on his sovereignty. And God, we'd like you to do this. I want you to note God's sovereignty didn't curb their motivation to pray. 
See, you, if you go to God's sovereignty and you go, well, everything works out, it's predetermined by God, they didn't sit there and go, we believe that, so come on, guys, let's go do something else. God's gonna do whatever he wants. Prayer doesn't matter. No, 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 no. God's sovereignty compelled them to pray, to join him, to join him in what he is doing in the world, in the universe. It didn't stop them from praying. Okay, I've, done, I've covered two things about the content. I said it's a corporate prayer. It, it begins and it rests in God's sovereignty. Let me, the third thing about the content is it distinguishes God's responsibility and ours. This prayer distinguishes God's responsibility and our responsibility. Look at 29 and 30. They say, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It distinguishes God's responsibility and our responsibility. Isn't it interesting that having come out of prison or jail, you know, they don't go after, the, they don't go after their enemies. All they say about the problem, okay, I'm gonna just say, they've got a problem, but all they say about the problem is, God, would you take note of them? Now, when I pray, I got a lot to say about my problem. <laughs> I don't know about you. But all they say is, God, would you take note? Would you take note of them? And I think they are so confident in the sovereignty of God, they know that which God takes note of, God takes care of. This is no problem for God. God, just take note of that. But then they pray, we know we have a responsibility. And would you give us the courage to live out that responsibility, which is be a witness to what we've seen and heard. Talk about Jesus. That's our responsibility. And God, your responsibility is to heal. It could be signs and wonders. It is, in fact, to open the eyes of the blind, spiritually, men and women, do not miss this, please. You and I cannot open someone's eyes to believe the gospel. Cannot. We can't do it. Only God can open the eyes of the blind. Only God can open the heart of someone who doesn't trust Christ. And God does. That's why you're a Christian. It's why I'm a Christian because God, God in his grace opened our eyes, opened my eyes. But only he can do that. And so the invitation of the prayer is, look, God, help us do what we know we, we must do and do it boldly. And we're gonna trust you to do what only you can do. And in this, do you notice that God's sovereignty, predestination is what we're talking about here, predetermined, that that does not keep them from what? From evangelism. Have you ever heard someone critique a, a view of sovereignty that I'm talking about and say, well, if you believe that, then why would you ever tell anyone about Jesus? Because it's only God can do it. Because God tells us to. Because God commands us to. Because God said the means by which they're going to come to faith is that people who know me are going to tell about me. But always understand the fruit will be because God opens their eyes and therefore sovereignty energizes evangelism. What do you mean it energizes evangelism? Well, because we know that only God can open people's hearts and he will, and he does. And so we can know when we pray for it to happen, it will. Do you see what I'm saying? 
What if, we, what if we didn't know that, that only God could open people's eyes and it depended upon us? What if, you, what if it was dependent upon how clear I was about how, how, how my argument fit perfectly? We would we'd, we'd kill ourselves with guilt and trying to make people believe. Y'all, we can't do that. We can just tell what Jesus means to us and who he is. And God, because he's in control and because he's sovereign, he's gonna open people's eyes. And that should fuel us to share our faith with amazing confidence that God will save whom he will save. And we tell the gospel to everyone. God's responsibility in ours. Oh my, let me get the last point here. That's the content. How about the outcome? This is amazing. They pray and then we see the answer, which is, I I love seeing this. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Three things happened. The place shook. I mean... It shook. I, I, I don't know what would happen if the building shook right now. I'd be terrified. Um, in the Old Testament, when God was present on the mountain, the mountain shook. In the Old Testament, when God's glory was filling the temple, the foundations of the temple shook. Well, he do that just to scare him? I, I don't, he did it because it was a sign for them to say, I'm here. <laughs> I am here. And, and they got that. Wow. Second thing, they were filled with the Spirit. This is not a second Pentecost. This is how the Spirit works in your life and mine. When we believe in Christ, we are indwelt by the Spirit, baptized by the Spirit. One time, one and done, the Spirit indwells us. The whole Spirit, the person of the Spirit, the, the, you know, not, not an arm and a leg, but the Holy Spirit fills us. It, it, we're indwelt by it. The filling of the Spirit is something that happens in life over and over and over Again, I told the service last time, I said, you know, I, I pray before I teach. I say, Lord, I want to depend. Being filled with the Spirit is being dependent upon the Spirit. So I said, you know, I pray, Lord, I'm, I want to be dependent upon your Spirit as I teach this morning. Well, that was true last service. Well, in between services, I, I truly go, God, I want to be filled with your Spirit as I teach this service. You know, that's what the filling of the Spirit is. It's, it's over and over and over again, dependence upon the Spirit of God in us to do what only He can do. They were filled with the Spirit. The last thing is they spoke the Word with boldness. Every time in the book of Acts that the Spirit fills, it results in bold proclamation. Every time... <laughs> It says speaking, which is in the imperfect tense, which means they spoke and they just kept on speaking. Here's what's crazy about this prayer, you all. Peter and John are persecuted because they proclaim Christ boldly. They get out of jail. They come over and tell their friends, say, man, you know, we got put in jail because we were just just telling people about Jesus. And so the people ball at their knees. They start praying. And guess what they pray? God, give us boldness so that we can do what will get us arrested. That's what they did, which tells us, you you understand, they were living men and women for a kingdom that was not their own. They were living for the kingdom of God, just as we're called to live today. That we might pray a prayer just like this, and it might be our prayer. God, take note of the problem. (laughs) Take note of the issues in our life. Take note of that. But oh God, oh God, Sovereign creator, God of revelation and history, the God who's in control, would you grant us the boldness to speak your name to a lost world? That's how we're going to end the service. I've gone over, but 
hey, we don't have it, you know, there's no other service, so we can stay here forever, right? Not really. But we're going to pray, Matt and uh, Mandy and Blair, if you'd come back. I, I, I want us to end our time praying the prayer. I'm going to pray it. And then we're going to sing the prayer. Um, we're gonna, when I say that, what I mean is we're going to sing the heart of the prayer because, you know, you know, when we sing, it's like, I'm talking to you right now and there's a few things I might say that you guys kind of go, wow, okay, that's good or it hits you. But I'm going to tell you, you can't sing without engaging your whole body. There's something about a song, Amelie, that, that touches us here, not just here. So we're going to sing the prayer as well. I want you to stand, please. Oswald Chambers says, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. And our prayer is that we would pray like this. And so we're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray it and ask you to believe it with me. And I'm also going to invite you to do this. After I finish praying the prayer, we'll sing it. But if you want to come up and pray on these kneelers, y'all come up and pray. If you just feel you need to pray, come up and pray. And then after we're done, we always have a team over here to pray. And you can step over and pray with them. But while we're singing, if you want to pray, I want to invite you to come and pray here. Let's pray together. O despotas, O benevolent despot, master, Lord, of the universe. It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit said through the mouth of our father David that everything that happened in the Passion Week, the injustice, the, the people who killed Jesus, who beat him, who unjustly condemned him. Oh God, that happened just like it happened to David. And the reason it happened is because you were doing whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So now, Lord, would you take note of the issues in our lives, the, the threats, the problems, the challenges, the hardships we face? Please take note of them. And would you grant that we, your bondservants, would speak your word with all confidence while you, God, do what only you can do, and that is, would you, would you heal? Lord, you can still do signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's a miracle when anyone believes because you have opened their eyes. And that is our prayer. You would open the eyes of the lost. Oh God, this is our prayer in our words. And we express that prayer to you now in our song. If you'd like to pray, come on up and you can pray. Oh God, hear our prayer. You have done whatever your hand and your purpose has predetermined to occur in the world, in the cross of Christ, in the life of this church, 
and in each one of our lives. Take note of our troubles and grant that we, your bondservants, may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of Jesus, we ask in his mighty name, amen and amen. If you would like to pray with someone, I want to invite you up and we've got our prayer team over here. You can pray with them. God bless.